This is John D. LeMay from Friday the 13th, the series, and Jason Goes to Hell. And you're listening to the Dead TV Podcast. to the Dead TV Podcast. After a few weeks away, I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And we had film fests and reconstruction on our homes to deal with. So that's why there was <laughs> oh, a big yeah. delay in the episodes. And I have had a very, very busy week setting up more of my kink parties. So a lot has been going on in the background. And if you're interested in my kink events and you're in the Philadelphia area-ish, uh, you can actually sign up for my mailing list at elegantlykinky.com. So tonight we are talking about what episode numbers? This is episode 10 and 11. Cool. The first episode is Cash Out. Mr. Zeneca has the plot synopsis for us. Season 1, episode 10, Cash Out. Sam begins dating Katie, even though he fears she may be the devil's daughter. The latest escaped soul is a former bank robber who has come back to collect the cash he hid after his last heist. Sam, Sock, and Ben capture the soul and then find the stolen money, leading to an argument what to do with it. Also, there's a second bank robber in that that's not on the description in IMDb. Hmm. Interesting. We open the episode with the greatest video game system ever made, possibly. It's debated. But in 2006, the Nintendo Wii came out in time for the holiday season. I remember this vividly because I was working at Blockbuster Video and our tiny little Wii section was like not enough to satisfy the Wii gamers. I got one of these for my birthday when I turned 27 years old on January 4th from my ex-wife and it was the greatest gift besides my son who had been born a few months earlier I could have ever gotten. (laughs) (laughs) Wii bowling rock. I wanted my son older to be played with the Wii. He was... A few years later, he would learn how to play with the Wii, which is great. So we had a lot of fun together with the Wii, playing a lot of games like SpongeBob games. Those Nintendo uh, Nickelodeon SpongeBob games were a lot of fun. I believe they were playing House of the Dead at the beginning of this because I have this game, and it looks like one of the House of the Dead games. It doesn't matter which one. They all have kind of the same kind of ending your dead kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, the Wii was a lot of fun. Did you have one? No, I did not have a Wii. That was one of the game consoles that I skipped over. But I actually think that the Switch was better than the Wii, and I am willing to fight you on that. So I don't know, but I love the fact that the Wii was backwards compatible with GameCube, and I skipped GameCube, so I was able to buy GameCube games for the Wii. Now, I did a very dumb thing. When the Wii U came out, I forgot about the backwards compatibility with the GameCube, and the Wii had programmed in it my old Nintendo account with all the games I had ever downloaded, and I kind of lost all those and didn't ask the uh, GameStop employee to transfer that content from the Wii to the Wii U. Oh, no. Yeah. And Nintendo tried to look for the old account, but it was under like a credit card connected to a bank account that was no longer uh, active. So it's, it's, all, it's long gone. Oh, damn it. Sam lies to the guys to go hang out with his new girlfriend, 
and uh, the funeral for her goldfish, which she brings to the bar, which is weird. I've never had a woman do this for me. I hope that never happens because that is really weird. But the guys follow her because they believe that she is, as Sock calls it, <laughs> Beazel babe. <laughs> Beazel babe. <laughs> oh my God, that's the best nickname. Because <laughs> she is babe. a babe. And Beelzebub is, you know, like demonic de- devil related material. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of the generals. Of yes, the he's devil. one of the generals of hell, right? In some religion of some kind. Something like that. Something like that. We're not gonna get deep on Beelzebub, but uh, yeah, no, she she is a Beelzebub babe, and uh, he, they just want to look out for him. And, and it is really weird that she brings a fish in a little box with her. Like, fish are just one of those disposable pets. You know, as soon as they're dead, you just kind of flush them right away. So this was quite unusual, and it definitely freaked out Sam a bit. And uh, she took notice of that and put him away. Walter. Poor Walter. When I worked in stock, I would, by the way, F up the um, stock prices. Oh, you did the discounts, like yeah. soft did? <laughs> I'll admit that now. Those jobs are long gone. And those companies are well out of business, so who cares? <laughs> So what did you do when you actually marked something down? Did you make it two cents like Soft did? Oh, God, no. I, I, I did it something else or whatever because I thought it was ridiculous, but not two cents, though. That, yeah. That's a little bit too much. Andy learns about the new girl, and we also learn that Caddy likes to be naked and bite the heads off of chickens. Well, no, that's not Katie. That's actually the devil saying that, pulling a prank on Sam. Very disturbing, considering it could possibly be his daughter, even though he claims it's not. Oh, I know. I know. It, it's it's awful. It's awful. But she definitely has got that uh, sexy voice to do the sexy phone talk with Sam. Yeah. And the devil says, uh, hey, buddy, I've tapped that gene pool, and it's a bust. Oh, that is like some misogynistic uh, male chauvinist piggy <laughs> shit that the devil can get away with. Yeah, only the devil can get away with that. I want to point out that on Lucifer, the TV show, the devil, that version of Lucifer, the vertical comics Lucifer, is, I don't, I never considered him to be misogynistic to women. He was a come on to women like, how you, you know, but I never got that he was misogynistic or sexist to women because he loved fucking women. So he was definitely never going to be misogynistic to them. Hmm. And I always thought that was the most charming part of that version of the devil versus this version of the devil, who is just a big bag of dicks most of the time yeah but an entertaining bag of dicks oh yes because ray wise oh yeah <laughs> um who by the way liked our tweet let's one step closer oh excellent i think i oh. sent you that screenshot yes he does that i'm hoping he'll come on our show if you're listening ray wise we'd love to interview you yes we have two seasons of this show to cover to definitely have him on so we have plenty of time to continue trying to uh, i will send another email out shortly i did send one out so we will see what happens the new vessel is a lighter a lighter now the actual vessel itself is like the zippo lighter style oh and, yes and I'm, I'm wondering like why a lighter particularly some of the other things in the episode make sense but the lighter itself doesn't mm. but that seems to be common with this show right and i was like I, I swear to God, I watch this at a normal time. You watch stuff late. Time on TV and movies starts getting skewered where you don't know where the middle and the beginning was. So when they cut, they cut the soul, I was like, are we almost over with this episode? I checked the time clock. Nope, 10 minutes in. 
Yeah. And and when they tried to turn it into Gladys, she re- rejects it because it is only half full. Right. There's two souls. Two souls. And six million dollars out there. From the bank robbers Thaddeus Johnson and Paul Huang. Boy, oh boy, what would you do with six million dollars? Have you ever come close to six million dollars? Oh, hell no. Okay. <laughs> I think the most amount of money I've ever seen in one place in person and not in a museum was probably about $20,000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, the most amount of money I've ever seen in my life, besides like, you know, what I made for the year and tax return, was probably the Kickstarter for Vlada. Oh. In grand total, was about $14,000 sitting in my account for a hot minute, but not exactly money i get to keep as you well know <laughs> yeah uh but still most money i ever had in my account one time <laughs> i saw that and i was like whoo <laughs> and thaddeus johnson came back to earth and he goes and buys a four million dollar mansion and devil says you know uh, money can't buy taste and we know that for a fact hell is the worst run business i love that reference as well as the reference to Top Gun, 1980s classic movie starring Tom Cruise. But the, the Zippo lighter, when they try to enact it in front of Thaddeus, when they pose as workbench workers looking for radon, it doesn't work. It sparks out and it doesn't work. And so he runs. And then all the jewelry that he wears falls behind him as he runs through the walls, which goes to the thought that you can't take it with you. And I think that's what this whole episode is really about, is that money that you can't take with you. We also get, by the way, a hot tub scene, and we get our lovely new character in a bikini in the hot tub, and the guys see her naked. I'm assuming this is possibly when Sam and her probably consummate their relationship. Because he's very like, oh, my God, my girlfriend's naked in the hot tub. You guys set it up for me to have sex with her finally. Yay! Because later on, they're in bed together kissing. So I'm assuming... And the show is trying to keep it clean in a way to appeal to probably the younger teenagers without getting too Riverdale-ish. Because at the time, CW, yeah, they've had Supernatural, but the sex has been very, like, off-camera, camera moves away. And then later on, the, the CW shows start getting racier because you watch Riverdale and you got 20-something-year-olds playing 15, 16-year-old girls in their bra and panties constantly. mm so I'm wondering if this show, you know, this is still at a time the CW is not taking the risks with the sex quite yet. Perhaps. Now, we only see Thaddeus Johnson for that small moment in time before he gets caught in the Zippo. But he is played by Sean Owens Roberts. He was well known for playing Clay Stanley in The Flash. Most recently, he was on Riverdale. Oh, <laughs> which I just mentioned. As an, as an edgy gangster. Oh, he's probably one of the Vipers, uh, Snakes, with the gang that um, Jughead and his dad are part of. He was also on Brand New Cherry Flavor, Turner and Hooch TV series, Batwoman TV series, a lot of bit parts here and there. All CW shows. That's the connections that he's uh, obviously been a good enough actor to stay around for the CW. His agent constantly keeps getting him work in CW. Probably living in Vancouver doesn't hurt it either. And he was on Supernatural as Chet uh, Leviathan. Ah, Yes. Okay. That's why I recognize him. Yes, yes, yes. He was, yeah, one of the big bads for that season. That is a season that is not very well loved by fans, with the exception of a few episodes. The songs in this episode are Cold Hands by The Black Lips, 
Nobody Wants You by the Dolly Rods, Top of the World by Kate Vogel, Summer in New York by Mink. That's a lot of songs. And Satellite by Guster. Here's a clip. The guys play cards, by the way. This is really funny. After they get some gambling advice from their boss, who is just like a loser gambler. Well, <laughs> yeah, he was mentioned in previous episodes that he had a gambling addiction. So the idea that he's going to go back to a high rollers table kind of gets Ted a bit excited. One of the guys, by the way, at the poker table, played by Jeremy Jones, he is one of those plays the same part all the time kind of characters. He was a sergeant on the X-Files. He was a local cop on another show. He was a deputy on Van Helsing. He was a cop on another show. He was a gun dealer on Arrow. He was a national security guard on V. He's played cops multiple times. He does have that very stern look to him. I guess if you have the kind of look, uh, just by the way, he's credited as poker guy, nothing else. So I feel sorry for Ben in this episode because the other bank robber, Paul Huang, he grabs him and then drags him through a wall partially so that if Paul were to let go, he would recorporate within the wall and then die. Ben went through a lot in this episode. Sock and Sam set the bag of money on fire to tempt Paul to let go of Ben, and it works. And it turns out that the bag is not full of money. It's full of Sock's undergarments. That scene with the wall phasing halfway through, yeah, you know, that's a uh, thing I have seen with villains that have that kind of power, chopping people in half that way. Or you see people being teleported or, you know, transported in some way, and half them gets, like, completely cut off. Sam catches the soul and they give the cash to the donut guy. The donut guy is actually the old bank manager who had a gambling problem himself, but he was the one that went to prison for 10 years for the crime. So he didn't commit the crime at all, but he served 10 years in prison and is now ostracized from any sort of financial job. So now he works at a donut shop. You know, God, can you imagine walking in with that much cash sitting there waiting for you? Yeah, incredible, incredible. We learned that uh, somebody doesn't know who her dad is. Yes, Katie admits that she's not the daughter of a Huey Lewis in the News bandmate, but might be the daughter of Jerry. Yeah, (laughs) Huey Lewis in the News bandmate. (laughs) And at the very end of the episode, we do see that she does indeed have the power of death itself. The flowers on the table wilt and die right in front of Sam's face. Right. And he notices it very, like, E.T.-like. Yeah. The episode, by the way, is directed by a long-time producer of television, uh, Stephen Craig, who's worked on How to Get Away with Murder, The Birds of Paradise, the original Doogie Howser show. Paul Huang is played by Brian Lawson. Uh, Brian Lawson is also on Snakes on a Plane as Eddie Kim. Oh, that's where I recognized him from. Cool. He's also featured in the Tomorrow People TV series as various agents. Killer Instinct as Detective Lee. His first credit is on Highlander TV series in one episode. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back because I'm hungry. Hungry for fame. I want to live forever here on the Dead TV Podcast. After Mr. Zeneca's little review of the next episode of Brimstone. 
TV show that's very similar to Reaper. And we'll be back. I was a cop. When my wife was raped, I caught the guy who did it, and I killed him. Two months later, I died. I went to hell. 113 of the most vile creatures escaped. They think they'll beat the devil. Nobody beats me. So how am I supposed to send them back? The eyes, windows to the soul. Destroy the eyes and the damned get a one-way ticket back home to hell. But it's not hell you should be scared of. It's losing your second chance of life on earth. Time to give the devil its due. It's Brimstone, Season 1, Episode 3, Encore. Originally aired November 6, 1998, Stone hunts an escapee who has a personal connection to him. The devil changes the rules in this one case. Hi, I'm Ezekiel Stone. My first summer back on Earth was what everyone called a scorcher, and the mercury was topping 115 degrees in the shade. Of course, the heat didn't bother me. After all, I was acclimated to the climate of hell. However, people began to notice. Aren't you hot? Take off your coat, you must be burning up. More than you know, Lydia, <laughs> more than you know. The day was weighing on me. It was the 15th anniversary of my wife's rape. The memory remains one of the most clearest that I have. We were scheduled to go to the Jets game. Rosalind was a big Jets fan. When I got home to pick her up, I found signs of a struggle broken glass, and my wife crying on the shower floor. She shouted at me. Don't touch me! But that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to take away her pain, to comfort her. Then a rage came over me to get back at the man that raped her. I must have been deep in thought at lunch, because that's when the devil decided to lecture me about why I didn't need to eat. Cracking dad jokes while unscrewing salt shakers like a little kid. He started talking about the next soul I had to send back, but the TV news told me the rest of the story. My attention went towards the husband on the screen, whose new wife was raped. The food wasn't the thing that was turning my stomach at that moment. It was the realization that her rapist, the man that I shot in cold blood, was back. The devil said that to succeed, that I needed to employ the same rage that brought me to hell in the first place. Ah, I kinda wish that I had listened a little closer to those words. Eh, I was beside myself in the depths of my own thoughts. If I had been less focused on the rapist, Gilbert Jacks, and more focused on that cryptic clue, it would have saved me a lot of time. Ah, anyway... My first stop was to see that husband on the news. Maybe I could prevent a revenge killing, I thought. I also needed to get details, to confirm in my own head the fact that it really was him. In my damned heart, I already knew. Another victim, same M.O. Devil mask, stolen wedding rings, window unlocked for entry, landscaper hired shortly before, and on top of it, the tissue samples were dead skin cells. It felt like a gut punch. You know that ache in your stomach where your rage and your sorrow live? It's that adrenaline and heartbreak. 
there I was, barely into my bounty hunter role, and I have to face the greatest enemy in my own mistake. Seriously, I thought I was back in hell. The only person that I had on my side was Father Horn, the blind priest. Eventually, I let him in on my true purpose on Earth, which gave him some sort of godly justification in his life's work. He argued, if the devil exists, then God must exist. Personally, I don't know. I've never met the guy. I got some intel on the landscaping industry and tracked down Gilbert's next victim. As soon as I told her about a serial rapist might have staked out her house, she agreed to visit her in-laws for the weekend. Then I waited for the bastard to arrive. We got into a scuffle, and I shot his eyes. And here is where the story usually ends. But not that day. Apparently, the devil changed the rules due to the unique pleasure he got from seeing me struggle. Again, if I had truly listened to that whole bit about the same rage that got me into hell, I could have just gotten it over with. But no. I had to run away. <sighs> he had my gun. I wasn't really upset about the gun. It always reappears in the morning along with anything else I had on me when I died. It was more shocking than anything. Since I didn't know what to do next, I made my way to Gilbert Jax's gravesite, where his mom frequented. I spent so much time agonizing over the eye thing, so the devil appears and gives me shit for not listening to him in the first place. Like he's the father I never had. A shitty, game-playing father of lies. A visit to Mother Jack's. I found out that her husband ran away after stealing her wedding ring. And now her son, Gilbert, steals wedding rings as trophies. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. When Gilbert came home, he started shooting. But I was the one who walked away. I had to channel all the anger and rage back to him. A single stab with a garden trowel was enough. What an image. Mrs. Jacks crying at her delusions of her son going to heaven. Me spent and emotionally drained. The tattoo erased. <sighs> I never want to do that ever again. Stay in hell, Gilbert. It's where you belong. In the role of Gilbert Jacks is William McNamara who's a very prolific actor who's been in over 165 film and TV appearances. You might recognize him from such films as Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, 2017, Medusa, Streets of East L.A., The Virus. He's also been on NYPD Blue, Nightmares and Dreamscapes from the stories of Stephen King, Trapped, Silk Stalking, most recently, he's tried his hand at becoming a director, with two features, The Trouble and The Trouble with Billy, still in post-production. One of my favorite roles was his role as Matt Carter in Doing Time on Maple Drive, which also stars Jim Carrey in one of his few dramatic roles. Gilbert Jax's mother, Evelyn McNabb Jax, is played by Louise Fletcher. Louise Fletcher started her career in 1958, on several television series, including Playhouse 90, Bat Masterson, and Yancey Derringer. Although you might recognize her as Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Or if you're a Trekkie, 
you would recognize her from Star Trek Deep Space Nine in the roles of Kai Wynn, Vedic Wynn. She hasn't done a lot of acting recently, but you can still see her on Shameless in the role of Peg Gallagher. Since this episode has a lot of cops and victims, I'll just list off the actors' names. Alex Datcher as Dr. Laura Miller, Stacey Heideck as Rosalind Stone, Kate McIntyre as Mary, Jolene Lutz as Pelham Woman, Kristen Minter as Janice Nowak, and Michael Rayner as Tim Nowak. I didn't really like this episode at all. It had a very weird pacing style, and a lot of things that were introduced were just not followed up on. The husband that was shown on the news in the first scenes comes back at the conclusion to point the gun at Gilbert Jacks, but he doesn't shoot. So what is that really supposed to tell us? Is that he prevented someone from going to hell? Although if the husband never showed up at that final scene, he would still be saving him from hell. So his introduction in the scene was superfluous. There was a few great moments with the devil, but overall I thought this was a very poor episode. Even the music selections on this episode didn't really match the tone. I probably would have skipped it if I was watching this on live TV. The next episode is far better. Good night. And we're back with Hungry for Fame, the next episode here of Reaper. Hungry for Fame, Season 1, Episode 11, originally aired March 13th, 2008. While hunting down the latest hell escapee, Sam tries to prevent deadbeat and untalented musician from selling his soul to the devil. Meanwhile, Sock is depressed when his overbearing and obnoxiously crazy mother returns from a month-long vacation to Las Vegas with yet another new husband, which leads Sock to move in with Sam, who continues to keep his secret life a secret from Andy. And I didn't realize it until the last part of the episode when this character becomes a big rock star who this was. I was like, oh, it's Randy from Scream and Scream 2. Yeah, our big star of this episode is Jamie Kennedy, who plays Ryan, the kind of bad musician. I didn't know he could sing either. I don't know if he's actually singing in this or if he's just trying to be bad. I don't know a lot about Jamie Kennedy's extracurricular stuff outside of just being an actor who's appeared in a lot of things. You know, Malibu's Most Wanted, Romeo and Juliet, Son of the Mask, the Jamie Kennedy experience as well. Well, I do have to say that the song for this episode that he's singing is called I'm a Bitch to the Rock and Roll, and it (laughs) is credited as Jamie Kennedy. Oh, interesting. And I met Jamie Kennedy once upon a time at Super Mega Fest here in Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, Nice guy when I did meet him. So very, very, very down to earth actor. If you watched uh, the new Scream movie, there is a kind of cameo wall photo appearance of him. Because even though his character was killed off in Scream 2, he obviously has lived on because he had a cameo in Scream 3 on a video cassette tape. Yeah. Uh, the other star of this episode, Allison Hossack, who plays Miss Oliver, has a long career throughout all of the Stargate and fringe television shows. One of those actresses who also does a bunch of the uh, Christmas movies as well that we've made fun of here before. A lot of these actors, by the way, on Reaper, one thing that keeps popping up on their IMDb is R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. Did you ever watch that with your kid? No. 
2011 to 2014 TV series, very much like Goosebumps, but I think they were trying to be like an edgier Goosebumps because I think a lot of the kids on the Arlstein's Haunting Hour were definitely preteens or early teens, whereas Goosebumps was not teen as much as it was definitely preteen kids. Oh, so it was like a tween show. Yeah, and then of course the Fear Street novels, which they've only recently started translating into movies on Netflix, are the more a teen adult you know, young adult slasher stories. Oh, okay. Sock's mom comes home with a new dad, and he is not happy because she cannot cut the curtails from her shorts. Uh, her what, What's the phrase I'm looking for? Cutting the I have, strings? I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so when, when somebody doesn't let their kids, like, get out of the house and grow up, this is what happens to them. They turn into people like Sock. Ah. He's 25 years old. It's time to move on. <laughs> Yeah, but we all know that Sock is very, very happy with the comfortability of his life living with his mother. Right, but his mom brings home um, the first ever Asian cowboy I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Bit part actor Henry Ma, if I'm saying that correctly, M-A-H. He's been in like a couple of the scary movie films. He was on The X-Files for a couple different episodes. He was on iZombie. Bit of a bit part actor. Again, first Asian cowboy I've ever seen in anything that I can think of off the top of my head. And I'm not counting cowboys in space like Firefly. So before anyone writes in going, but Firefly had Asians that were cowboys. And Cowboy Bebop. No, I'm talking about like Western style cowboys people, not science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> cowboy Bebop and Firefly I love, but let, let's, that's, that's multicultured for a reason. <laughs> this is the first time we've seen Sox Mom. Yes, th- this is when she returns from Vegas. So it's the first time we've seen her. And ah. she's played by Marilyn Norrie. And Marilyn Norrie has been on, most recently, the Nancy Drew show as oh. Myrtle Hudson. Have not watched that. Looks like a lot like Riverdale. She's also been on Siren as Roberta. Altered Carbon as Shira. She's been on a lot of television shows, including iZombie and Supernatural. She was Mother Superior in Mother's Little Helper. The vessel for this episode is a harpoon gun. Another practical weapon again, thankfully, which is awesome because they're like, yeah, a harpoon gun. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. A, a weapon that does something that makes sense, like a projectile or the first one, which was what? The, the dirt devil, right? You know? Yeah, the dirt sense. devil. Yeah, this one is a spear gun. And it makes sense for this episode because the escaped soul has more vampiric traits. So a spear through the chest is the classic way of vanquishing a vampire. Right. Oh, well, yeah, he's kind of a vampire. Cannibal. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. But, you see, he wakes up and goes and feeds and eats the heart and the head. And he changes his face when Sam and crew confront him. And his teeth are just rows of jagged spears. Like, they're, they're very sharp and very vampiric in a Nosferatu type of sense. By the way, so the actor who plays our cannibal, Thomas Saunders, is now a career talent manager. His phone number is on IMDb publicly for anyone to call. Interesting. Maybe we should call him to find out if he represents anybody from Supernatural. I mean, (laughs) Reaper, excuse me. (laughs) Reaper and Supernatural people, same network, same time period. Not even joking, Mr. Zeneca, we didn't really have to check local listings at the time period. Supernatural and Reaper, I know, were on back-to-back with each other. Ah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, his phone number's on here, so we should call it and uh, maybe find out if he has any Reaper talent under his tutelage for being a manager. 
You know, Marilyn Norrie, at the same time as this uh, Reaper was on, she was also on Battlestar Galactica as Reza Chronicles. Yeah, and so was our cannibal as well. Nice. Maxine Miller plays his mom, and she was, you're not even going to believe this, I'm, I'm sure, because you're in the kink community a little bit more than me. She played Christian Grey's grandmother in the Fifty Shades of Grey movies. Of course she did. <laughs> because that's where you want to learn where Christian Grey learned his kink from. His grandmother. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> she was Sheila and Killer Old Lady on Supernatural for an episode that we actually just covered on another podcast I do called uh, Supernatural Creatures and Lore, Bedtime Stories. She was Killer Old Lady and Sheila. So again, CW crossover. And she was on Smallville. <laughs> uh, Maxine Miller was also on the show Martha Speaks and Robson Arms. And what about Mimi? The funniest thing ever was that she was on a cartoon series called Class of the Titans. Can you can you guess what that show was about? Class of the Titans or Clash of the Titans? Now, yeah, you just said it again. So Class of the Titans sounds like what? It sounds like a high school drama for gods. Uh, yep. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And because Maxine Miller, by the way, has been acting for so long, she's on our favorite and elephant cartoon series we've mentioned thousands of times babar as some of the additional voices she was also on an episode of war of the worlds that we previously covered as a matron oh interesting and she was also on 40 episodes of mr rogers neighborhood that's how far back her career goes and she was on friday the 13th the series another one we've reviewed yeah she was in the episode cup of time as birdie which one was that that is the cursed teacup that sucks the life out of people. Oh, okay. I do love how Sock tries to bond with her because it's the mother he has always wanted. <laughs> He's so sweet. He falls so in love with her. And it breaks his heart at the end of the episode when our escaped soul actually eats his own mother. It, it just totally breaks Sock's heart. It, you can see the anguish on his face. Like, you you killed the one glorious woman in this world. You should have been thankful for her. Yeah. I cannot believe he eats his own mother. I can't believe that either. But he says, oh, I was hungry. Oh, get a sandwich, I, I, man. I have suspected her to walk around the corner after they vanquish her son. But no, that does not happen. She is dead. He killed and ate his own mother. That is some Freudian shit if I've ever heard it before. (laughs) Definitely. That is some serious fucking Freudian shit. The eating of her heart. Oh. To eat eat the heart of your own mother. Man, he's definitely a damn soul. We learned in this episode, Sam's girlfriend is a bit cray-cray. Yeah. Scary crazy. This is not a woman you mess with. But would you suspect anything less than from the daughter of the devil? Oh, no, no. I guess you could grow up as the daughter of the devil and not have such proclivities, but, um, you know, she gets a little crazy when she gets jealous or possessive. Now, when Sam and the devil approach Ryan at the pier when he is playing, Sam and the devil have this conversation between each other about how evil the devil really is. You know, he's going to corrupt that soul and make him a deal for fame. You know, it makes complete sense because this is the devil. This is what he does. You know, this is his job. And Sam is just perplexed that he could do that to such an innocent, you know, guy. Honestly, this whole plot line with Jamie Kennedy's character could be its own episode aside from the cannibal. 
Oh, for sure. For sure. That storyline was very engaging. You know, we see from the beginning where he's on the pier, he's approached by someone that I guess is supposed to be a record producer type of guy uh-huh. and then gets swept up in the in the excitement and he's going to sell out an entire stadium without anyone knowing anything about his music, which should have been suspect for him. But when Sam actually tells him that the record producer guy is the devil, you know, this is not good. This is not real. Ryan, he just jumps right in like and just like, OK, well, yes, I'll, I'll worry about my soul after I'm dead. That's the attitude of most rock stars. <laughs> The devil afterwards tells Sam, thank you, because sometimes this whole, you know, get a taste of fame and, you know, sign the dotted line afterwards doesn't always work. So Sam made his job easier by telling him the devil so that when he's approached with the contract, he'll actually sign. That really bums out Sam because he didn't want to help the devil. He wants to prevent this guy's soul from being sold. Yeah, and the devil gets back at Sam for what he did at the very end. The workbench's shelves just get knocked over, like those racks. Knocking over every single shelf. Uh, I'm glad that it didn't seem that anyone was hurt in the process. But man, I have worked in warehouses, and that is a big deal. And in this episode, Sock does apologize to his mom. You know, he was little, overly dramatic, and, you know, he apologized, and then she kicks him out of the house because she's already turned his room into a pottery studio. So Sock needs to find a new place to live, as he should, because, you know, he's a 25-year-old man. He should be living on his own. Uh, yeah, you hear the, a piece of pottery get knocked over when he enters the room. <laughs> The way that they actually catch Philip Carmona, the cannibal, is kind of weird because they do catch him, but they allow him to go in order to prove to Jamie Kennedy's character, Ryan, that this is what you get turned into if you actually sell your soul. It's this very weird place because, yeah, that cannibal could just get away from them. There is no way that they're holding him there other than like a rope. But in the process, they're trying to tempt the cannibal with Jamie Kennedy. And in return, you know, in the, in the kerfuffle, Jamie Kennedy's hand gets cut off. And so that prevents him from being a rock star. And if we get a nice happy ending at the very end where his girlfriend, the one that he wrote all of those terrible songs about, accepts him back because he can no longer be a rock star. Happy ending. That is it for my notes here on the Dead TV podcast with this episode. In this episode, we hear This Month, Day 10 by CSS, Don't You Ever by Spoon, and Get Lucky by New Young Pony Club. Here's a clip. And that's all the notes I have. You can find us over on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page and over on our individual Twitters at ChrisDSAV and at ElegantlyKinky. If you'd like to send us an email, you can. ThatRadioHorror at gmail.com. Please rate us, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and a bunch of other servers like uh, Audible as well. We're on Audible. And we'll be back in a couple weeks with another exciting couple of episodes of Reaper here on the Dead TV Podcast. Good night.